Welcome to another informative episode of the No Harm Health and Safety Podcast. I'm Kara Pembroke. I work for Chemscape Safety Technologies located in Calgary, Alberta as their HSE team leader. The same way that you would control any other hazards in your workplace, you need to be controlling the hazards that affect occupational health as well. No Harm is the podcast for health and safety professionals like you. We're here to help you sharpen your professional skills and better understand emerging issues. Some companies, uh, they do have an expert in-house, you know, they have an occupational hygienist, but some companies don't, you know, some smaller companies, especially they don't have someone on hand who can say, okay, here's a chemical that we're working with and here's exactly what we need to do. Sounds like a great topic. Let's get started. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the No Harm Health and Safety Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Marvin Polis. After a brief hiatus, we're back for Season 2. Joining me now over the phone line is Kara Pembroke. She's from Chemscape Safety Technologies in Calgary. Thanks for joining me, Kara. Yes, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Now, Kara, we wanted to talk about Wemis. What's on your mind? So, um, I guess to start at the beginning, you know, there's a lot of focus on the safety aspect of occupational health and safety, but bringing the health back into health and safety uh, is kind of what we focus on here, um, and, and WEMIS is just a part of that. So, to start from the occupational health side of things, there's often a more of a focus on safety. It's more in your face, so we see tripping hazards, faulty machinery, things like that, whereas with occupational health, it's something that's, it's less in your face. It's something that's often left up to the experts to deal with either um, when something happens or when you believe an issue exists or arises. But it's really something that you need to be implementing the same way that you would control any other hazards in your workplace. You need to be controlling the hazards that affect occupational health as well. Understood. Now tell me a little bit about the occupational health and disease statistics? We do have some acute exposures that you can get from some occupational exposures, of course. So that would be something like if something was corrosive or sensitizing to your skin so you get a rash or an allergy, something very noticeable from, you know, maybe a one-time or a couple-time use. The more challenging side of things is um, occupational disease that's going to show up after chronic exposure to a chemical hazard. So that could be, you know, after 20, 30, 40 years of working with something and then that's when that occupational disease or even potentially occupational fatality from that disease would happen. I'm sure a lot of us know someone who is potentially affected by an occupational disease from something that they were exposed to at the workplace. Coal mining would be my example. I'm from a small coal mining town on the East Coast and it's it's very hard to draw that conclusion to say, you know, I'm at this stage of my life, I have this uh, this disease now, I have cancer, let's say, from breathing coal dust, and I got this. Well, I guess with the coal mining example, it's a little more cut and dry, but it's hard to argue to say, I got cancer exactly because of this sometimes, versus a workplace incident, which you can draw that parallel a lot more easily. Kara, is there anything else that really stands out for you in the statistics? Yeah, so um, one thing we do see repeatedly, so it depends on which um, statistical breakdown you're looking at from which governmental body. So, for example, through the Alberta government, they do um, statistics on occupational fatalities from incidents and disease. 
So if you're looking at that breakdown, we see that 50% of occupational fatalities are due to occupational disease. Um, that's a pretty staggering number. Um, that's followed by around 27, 28% workplace incidents. So that would be your more noticeable things. Something happens, there's an accident, followed by 20% motor vehicle accidents. So 50%, and that's over the last five years, that's been the trend. It's been around 50% for this um, Alberta government report has shown 50% from occupational disease. So it's definitely something that more time and energy needs to go into managing these things up front before um, these exposures happen to begin with. Um, and we also see if we look at the demographic breakdown, a uh, large margin of the occupational disease claims that have gone through have been in people 65 years and older, which suggests that they've probably gone be undiagnosed for years, but also probably from chronic exposures at the workplace. So like I said, 20, 30, 40 years of exposure to something that they were working with. And then their WCV claim went through that their fatality was due to their occupation, essentially. Um, and another thing worth noting on that is that's only WCV claims that have been approved. So that does not count people who got sick because of their workplace, but perhaps their claim wasn't able to prove that it was based on their workplace. Um, I saw a really great analogy for that that said, if uh, crime statistics were only based on solved homicides, imagine, you know, what a tip of the iceberg type of number that would be, right? So with occupational disease, it's the same idea. Uh, these are just the ones that have been approved, essentially. So imagine how many other linkages to workplace exposures there are that we see people having these ill health effects from. You're right. That really is an unsettling number. And just so we're clear, these are Alberta statistics. Do you happen to know uh, how, how this stacks up against statistics in other parts of Canada and maybe other parts of the world? It's a pretty similar statistic in other parts of the world. I know that in the U.S. they do see a similar trend. Um, the diseases caused by occupational exposure do exceed the number um, who sustain fatal occupational injuries. And in the U.K. as well, they report similar numbers. Unfortunately, I can't point to the exact like report, for example, for those ones. But I do know that they see very similar numbers to what we're seeing here in terms of the breakdown. Now, with that as a background, this probably makes sense for us to transition into the thought of WIMIS. What's new with WIMIS? With WIMIS 2015, we transferred from WIMIS 1988 to WIMIS 2015, also known as GHS. So that final phase just uh, closed up on November 30th, 2018. So with that final phase passing, we had around three years. So that the phases start at the top of the supply chain. That would be with manufacturers going down through the supply chain. And then the final phase was at the end user, consumer, employer level. So as of November 30th going forward, the employer should have everything switched over to the GHS system of classification and labeling. So that means all your SDSs, all your labels should be in that WIMIS 2015 format. And you should have all your employees who are working with hazardous chemicals trained on your WIMIS 2015 program. Well, then tell me more about training, because this obviously is a, a big aspect of this. People need to understand what the rules are. How do people go about learning the rules? It starts at the top with your chemical management system. So chemical management doesn't just adhere to prevention of occupational disease. It also has to do with storage, emergency measures, 
Um, so your first step would really be getting an inventory of the hazardous chemicals that you use at your specific workplace. So depending on the size of your company, this might be a few chemicals or for a bigger company, this might be a lot of chemicals. Some companies have systems in place specifically to manage these hazards, um, but you want to make sure your inventory is accurate, you know, an annual inventory checkup, things like that. Next up, you want to have a system to control the chemical hazards that you have identified you have in your inventory. So whatever that system might be looks a little bit different from company to company. It's partially what we do at Chemscape. We have some of these systems that we implement for our clients, but however you go about it um, differs from company to company. So then you're going through your hierarchy of controls. We've identified these hazards. Now, what do we need to do to control them? Um, so we're using all of the information that's available on this hazardous chemical. So, for example, you're going to your SDS or you're going to your um, hazard management system if your company has one in place to figure out what you need to do to control your workers from exposure to these hazardous chemicals. So, for example, uh, you're starting at your the highest level of your hierarchy, so you're saying, can we eliminate things? Can we substitute this for a less hazardous chemical? Can we, uh, or, you know, do we just need to take it right down to the PPE level? What PPE do we need? Things like that. And then the final step, bringing it full circle back to the WIMIS 2015, is the communication aspect. So your communication comprises your SDSs and your labels and your signs, things like that. But it also, it's it's more than just taking the WIMIS course. It's taking the training to the next level to train your employees on the specific hazards present at your work site to making sure that they're competent to understand what they're working with. So there's some fundamental WIMIS questions, basically, that employees should be able to answer. Where do they get the information that they need? Do they go to the SDS? Do they go to their supervisor? Um, what are the hazards of working with certain chemicals? How do they work safely with this product? Which PPE do they need? Multiple uses. So, for example, something we really commonly see is cleaning products that come in and people think, oh, I don't work with anything overly toxic or overly hazardous. But even something as simple as a cleaning product can come in and it's an undiluted cleaning product, full strength. And the SDS will give the information for the diluted and the undiluted product. And you can see a really big difference between the two. So any employee that will be working, you know, let's say to decant the original product into secondary containers and diluting it would need to understand that that's a lot more hazardous of a product that they're handling um, in its undiluted form. And they would need to understand how to work with that versus the diluted version, which, you know, maybe the cleaning cart or something like that would have like a diluted version, which would be have a very low hazard associated with it. Um, and also, do they know what to do in an emergency situation, if an emergency situation arises, just because you're not directly working with a hazardous chemical or a chemical that you consider to be highly toxic, it doesn't mean that employees don't need to understand what they might need to do if something does happen uh, in their workplace. Understood. Now, Kara, as a consultant who works with many organizations and helping them understand what the issues are and, and how to manage these issues. How are you finding the level of awareness, the level of understanding out there? Is there work that still needs to be done? 
Absolutely. Um, so we do see uh, different levels of either misunderstanding in some cases, or sometimes it's an awareness that they need to pay more attention to the occupational health side of things, but they just don't quite know maybe what to do, or maybe they need a chemical management system to help them implement what they know that they want to do, for example, if they know they have a certain exposure that they want to control, then that would be kind of the level that we see there. Some companies, uh, they do have an expert in-house, you know, they have an occupational hygienist who they are able to go through and assess these things, but some companies don't, you know, some smaller companies, especially they don't have someone on hand who can say, okay, here's a chemical that we're working with and here's exactly what we need to do. So that's when we'd see people more come to us where they kind of need that next level of like outside help, I guess. Okay, so we've identified some really important issues here. Where can our listeners learn more about chemical management, WEMIS, and all of these things that we're talking about? And indeed, where can they learn more about the work that you do? You can always go to Chemscape's website. We have lots of good resources there. Uh, we have a blog. We have a lot of resources, too, that you don't necessarily need to sign up for anything. Uh, we have a Women's 2015 Implementation Checklist on there that is a really great resource that helps you just walk through and make sure you have everything in place that you need. And again, you don't need to sign up for anything. It's just right there on the website. It also gives you walkthrough about Women's 2015 and different chemical management aspects as well. To add on to that, you know, if there's anything that would be worth going into more detail on, anything that I've touched, I'd be more than happy to discuss that as well. Well, splendid. And again, thanks for joining us today, Kara, and being so generous with your time. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the No Harm Health and Safety Podcast. Be sure to join us next time. And a reminder that you can subscribe to us for free on SoundCloud, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The No Harm Health and Safety Podcast is a production of Stimulant Strategies and Media Productions. You can learn more about us at stimulant.ca. All the best, everyone, and stay safe.